0: Hello and welcome to Riel Opera Talk, a scholarly podcast on the Canadian Opera Company's upcoming production of Louis Riel. Today we're releasing an interview that we conducted with some of the female cast of the upcoming production. We spoke with Simone Osborne, Joanna Burt, and Alison McCarty. They shared with us their memories of rehearsal so far, their hopes for the production as well as their insights into the role of women in Riel's life and how little documentation there is on these important figures. So without further ado... So thank you all so much for agreeing to interview with us. We're so excited to speak with you about the production that's so soon. Um, Could you start by telling us your name and which character you play in the opera?
1: So my name is Simone Osborne, and I play the role of Marguerite Riel, Louis Riel's wife.
2: My name is Allison McCarty, and I play Julie Riel, Riel's mother.
3: My name is Joanna Dindi Burt, and I'm playing the role of Sarah Riel, uh, his sister.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Would each of you tell us about your first encounter with the opera Louis Riel? We could start. Here, if you want.
1: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I first heard about Louis Riel because my teacher in college, my singing teacher in in undergrad at UBC was part of the chorus in the 1979 production, and um, the production that also went down to uh, Washington, uh, D.C., and she really wanted to do Riel at our university. Um, I think McGill had recently done it or was about to do it, and she thought that we could maybe do it too. Um, Unfortunately, we didn't end up doing the opera until um, I graduated and was an alumni. So I missed it um, because she didn't have a baritone that was quite capable of uh, taking on the mammoth assignment that is Louis. Um, But they did go on to do a production while I was here in the Young Artist Program at the COC. So that was my first introduction to the piece. Um, And I did a little bit of reading on it back then because I was a very good music student (laughs) and (laughs) wanted to know if there was a role maybe for a soprano in the piece, in case we did it. Um, So, but uh, it wasn't until a few years ago when um, I was contacted about doing Marguerite here at the COC that I really looked in depth at the score.
2: Um, I specifically remember a conversation in university while we were all having coffee, which happened a lot. Um, (laughs) the conversation of well what are the good Canadian operas and it was always Louis Riel Um, and this was at Wilfrid Laurier University and but the conversation would then go "Oh, that's the only really good Canadian opera but it'll never happen because it's impossible to produce there's so many people and in the program at the time you know we had many, many women, many sopranos, a few mezzos, hmm. and one tenor, <laughs> and
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, maybe more than one tenor, but I mean, the vocal demands are not small, so it was like, oh, it'll never happen, so it just got filed. Of course, there's really no aria for a mezzo, so it didn't quite stick in my mind, perhaps the way it would for a soprano with the wonderful um, Act Three aria, but uh, yeah, it was always, that's the one, that's the good one. <laughs>
3: Uh, so I heard about it two years ago in my Canadian rep class with Dean Barry at the Glengold School. Um, he played a few scenes, one in particular, Koyas. Um, so then after that, when I got accepted into the artist diploma program, I asked Roxelana Roslach, who premiered uh, Marguerite in 1967, Seven, I believe. And... Yeah. Um, so she gave me that aria, and she worked on it with me, and I performed it, just in master classes and whatnot. And as a native speaker of Cree, um, it just came became very natural to me. And I already, as an Indigenous woman, I, I I can connect with this opera. Also, working with the Métis Nation of Ontario and basically teaching about Métis history and culture—it's basically part of who I am.
0: Thank you. Can you tell us about your research into your different roles? What was your process? Who or what did you consult? So maybe we'll start with.
2: Um, my process is what my process typically is. I like to read the libretto many times so I can get really familiar with the sort of neighborhood of the piece. So I'm sort of an expert on the, the, ha- the happenings of, of the opera. Um, for this one, I really got addicted to the Maggie Siggins, *Real: uh, A Life of Revolution, that book. Page-Turner, I was like, oh, this is awesome, I'm actually going through it again because it was so compelling, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there, what he was like as a person and she really elaborates beautifully on his sort of charisma and his, uh, I, I feel like I've seen him through her descriptions, it's a really, it's a really wonderful book. And uh, uh, photographs of her, you know, like there's not many, but uh, it's kind of fun to just sit with a photograph and sort of muse and, and get, have an intuitive response to what, what she looked like and, and imagining what her life was like and that kind of stuff. Also, his writings, his descriptions of her, that her eyes were always turned towards God, and wow. he was sort of, I mean, these weren't uh, his words, but... It, the impression that I got, he was sort of marinated in the Holy Spirit his entire childhood, and it
3: was because of her. Mm-hmm. So um, that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. How are you? So I consulted the libretto as well, um, just to get a feel of where we're at in this, and and particularly, I'm I'm very young in this, 22, which I'm 24 anyway, so basically <laughs> the same ages her <laughs> So. Um, I also read Joseph Boyden's book, um, Joe Boy. (laughs) Good stuff. Uh, (laughs) So uh, I also, like, I know quite a bit about uh, Louis Riel's history because um, I've read some of the the letters that he would send between his his family members, and um, because I know his great-great-grandniece personally. Uh, I actually know a lot of his relatives. so just like talking to, between uh, with the Métis people, and because I'm not Métis myself, I'm First Nations. It's good to consult, you know, the relatives of Louis Riel, and um, I. There wasn't too much of on Sarah, other than she she was very strongly influenced by her mother as well. Obviously, mm-hmm. because uh, her mother wanted to become a nun, yeah. but couldn't because she had this divine, you know, message from God telling her she was going to have the son. Who was gonna lead the nation mm-hmm. and so her daughter became a nun. And um, I like I don't I, I can't really uh <laughs> relate to her <laughs> because I'm like, nuns <laughs> you know? <laughs> Catholicism. No, not my not my cup of tea. But yeah, I, I can relate with her on the indigenous aspect that she is like part First Nations. And yeah, so that's the research I've done with Sarah Great. For Marguerite I think um, as
1: is always the case with a real historical figure there's sort of an extra um, responsibility and an extra uh, intention from from I think all of our on all of our parts to portray that person um, accurately and to portray them in Um, in an honest way and not to bring too much of yourself into your portrayal because it's easy to do that especially um, you know there are some again like the other women in this story um, I think I consulted half a dozen books on Louis Riel and academic papers and research um, and there's very little about these women in his life, there's a little bit but not a lot, lot. No, no, no And so um, it's tricky because you don't want to, you don't want to bring your own biases or your own hopes for the character into um, the piece, but there was just enough for me to figure out who this young woman. Again, she was only about twenty-two or twenty-three, yep. um, already with two babies and uh, living in the mountains of Montana with Riel, um, in pretty challenging circumstances, mm-hmm. and she was teaching, and all of these things I think um, add little puzzle pieces mm-hmm. to the the character that you create. But it was also important for me as a woman who is not Indigenous, who is not Cree, who is not, doesn't have any um, sort of, uh, you know, family connection. Um, I you know my mother is Persian and my father is of Icelandic background so super cool uh, I you know I <laughs> <laughs> I can explain to another Canadian kid what it's like to come from a Persian background or to have a big Persian dinner with your entire family every Sunday you know I, I can I can try and explain that but. Um, until you've smelled the saffron rice and tasted the pomegranate seeds, you know you don't you don't know what that means. And so I I also sat down with um, a couple of friends or or uh, friends of friends, one of whom um, people of of Cree descent, one of whom was is actually the great granddaughter of Charles Sauve, who was one of two men that was charged with um, the job of going. An honor, really, but it was, it was scary and t- challenging to go and take Riel's body from Regina and bring it back to Manitoba. And her father is very involved. They actually live in Washington State now. Um, her grandmother, so uh, Charles Sauvé's daughter, uh, basically did what Riel uh, and what Marguerite's family did, which was that she came to down to the states to. Um, avoid some of the controversy and some of the racism that was happening in the prairies. Um, And so he didn't even know that he was related to Charles Sauvain. He didn't even know that he was Métis until he was a grown man. And that that sort of started this incredible um, research and incredible sort of obsession with finding out about his roots and finding out about being metis and and so she's a, she's been a really great resource for me as well because it's been a real um a real passion and a real motivating factor in his life and she's very proud of her heritage and she's actually a a student of mine <laughs> an old student of mine i the world is very small, and things happen for a reason. She was a summer student of mine at 16 years old at the summer camp that a friend of mine and I used to teach at at UBC. She ended up coming to UBC and is an undergraduate student in um, voice performance and also creative writing. And she's writing a novel. She's writing a graphic novel on Louis Riel. amazing. <laughs> and UBC just that. funded her trip to come and see opening night. Of oh, the that's show. Great. oh that's so, great. So, yeah. So, um, you know, it... it One incredible thing about being Canadian is that somehow someone that you know has a connection to Louis Riel or the story of Riel Mm -hmm, and all of a sudden like the stars align and and if you, I don't know if this has happened to you girls, but when you mention the fact that you're going to be a part of Riel, whether Mm -hmm. it's in the the artistic community, the singing community, Mm -hmm. or just to friends and relatives and and Mm -hmm. things, there's always a story you know oh I was you know I love that part of history class or I you know my great uncle was so yeah that's part of the real life kind of filling in the blanks that I did after all of that that research uh, that we've all done
0: Um, so could each of you tell us a bit about the atmosphere of rehearsals so far Perhaps you could tell us a bit about working with Peter Hinton and Johannes Debus and any other members of the cast who aren't present at the moment?
3: Um, I was really scared at first. (laughs) (laughs) So I like That first day we both said, I'm nervous, so am I. Oh my gosh, I'm so (laughs) nervous. (laughs) We're like, oh! (laughs) Because like I like here these ladies are seasoned professionals. We were like so nervous. Amazing. <laughs> we were nervous. What about this fourth? <laughs> oh my god. I was like shaking in my boots. I was like holding on to my chairs, like, here we go. Here we go. My <laughs> like, gosh. And once I got into the rehearsal process and getting to know you lovely ladies and the lovely gentlemen who are who make up the cast, I became so comfortable and it y'all are just so welcoming and (laughs) it just makes me feel like I'm at home you know I I don't feel out of place I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be and Peter I owe him everything he he's the one who pushed for me to be in this opera as well and Johannes he's you know just watch him and he's got me he's got me (laughs) just like whenever I get lost I'm like oh yeah okay we're good (laughs) but it's just everybody is, is so great. And just being a young, new, indigenous opera singer, I was scared and I felt like, okay, I'm not, I'm not gonna belong here, but I feel like I, I definitely belong here. This is what I wanna do for the rest of my life. Yay. And I have you guys to thank for that and everybody in the cast and Peter. And it's just, it's a wonderful feeling. I can't explain it. It's just beautiful. Yay. Wow, how do you follow that? All that's right. that's, <laughs> you're
0: have to. that's really wonderful. <laughs>
2: yeah, I know you definitely. This is this is where you're supposed to be on stage singing. Um, it's been uh, the vibe in rehearsal has been cooperative and inclusive and safe. I feel like my ideas are important and valued. In absolute contrast to what is actually happening to the Métis people I mean I just think wow as we walk through this piece just to feel when you see how how people must have felt being repeatedly ignored ignored when following the rules and trying to go through the right systems I like again it's it's hard to sort of talk about it because it's like we feel so good doing this we feel like we're really doing a really important work. And, and for, for a, a people in the past that were treated so badly, it's, it's, it's quite moving at times, actually. Peter Henson's great. Gentle. Just leads you along. So knowledgeable. Yeah. Frightening how knowledgeable he is about this topic. Johannes, rock star. Yeah. Talk about the master of concentration. Okay, like my part's not particularly long at any point. He's going all night with a different time signature on every bar. Like I don't know how he does it, and he doesn't lose his cool. No, he's super supportive, calm. It's great. Lucky us. I've messed
1: up, (laughs) but he's pretty cool. That's what's incredible to me, specifically about him, is that he never loses his cool in stuff like this. Mm -hmm. A big project. Overwhelming numbers of chorus and orchestra and yeah. cast and sleigh bells and you know tom toms and six <laughs> percussionists and yeah. he never freaks out at anybody. I mean, knock on wood, maybe it'll happen one day, yeah. but he he really doesn't. And you know, he won this job after doing War and Peace, which is another huge, yeah. huge complicated show, and that I don't think that would surprise anyone that sees him. I mean, it was a very young. Obviously, wildly talented person, mm-hmm. but and a musician, and artist. But um, uh, the fact that he has not ever let anything get under his skin—it's yeah. never, mm-hmm. and it's never about it being anybody else's fault. If something happens, he'll go, "Oh, maybe I did two three instead of three two there. Oh, it's yeah. probably me." And I watched it, and I know it wasn't him. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> like that is so rare when a conductor would say, "Oh, yeah, oh, oh my gosh." Like yeah. to just
1: say oh that was me or it wasn't me like I mean I think I could count on my two hands and that's not just and usually it's because they don't make mistakes we've been fortunate enough to work with really good conductors but probably on my two hands I could count the times I've heard a conductor say I'm so sorry that was my fault yeah
2: (laughs) yeah it's true no he's he's just super cool about it and the like the chorus loves him oh yeah that's the the real acid test right if the chorus loves you You're doing something right. You're you're a rock star. (laughs) He's a good-looking man, too. (laughs) uh (laughs) Uh-oh. He's listening to this. (laughs) It wasn't me. (laughs) That's right, Joanna. It wasn't you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us some of your favorite moments in rehearsal so far? Any memories or scenes that stick out that you guys have found are going to stick with you after this opera?
2: The blessing ceremonies. Yeah. Those have been so... You know, uh, I
1: think that has contributed actually to the feeling in the yeah. rehearsal hall. We yes. started the whole process, and I've done a few projects before with Indigenous artists, never um, with Cree stories, but with, with different First Nations people and different in, Indigenous um, stories and artists. And it is often that um, that an experience, a shared experience, will start with everyone standing in a circle or sitting in yeah. a circle. And Joanna helped to run this um, initial blessing ceremony, the first rehearsal we had with mm-hmm. full chorus and supers and land assembly and um, tons of members of the administration and creative team, costumes, wigs.
2: That's a um, lot of people. It's It was like,
1: it, I mean, it was like a, yeah. you felt like you were in a high school auditorium or something, there were yeah. so many people. Yeah. Um, and Alexander Neif and Johannes Debus and uh, Roberto Mauro, you know, the whole, everyone was there to be involved. and. Um, It started with this I mean we almost couldn't circle up because it's and that's a big rehearsal hall it's probably a city block that that Imperial Oil Theatre at the Front Street rehearsal studio or spaces and we all stood around and um, there was some smudging Mm -hmm. and there was just sort of a quiet and a calm and Joanna explained to us that the reason we stand in a circle and this is to paraphrase and Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm um, oversimplifying but basically it's so that everyone's on equal footing and that everyone looks each other in the eye and everyone is treated the same Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that has really um, carried through throughout the process and you know to watch the general director of the opera company with this beautiful cedar and it was at cedar and um what were you burning the first day? I know It we was did just Sage. It was very sage, easy to right? burn. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And we did we did Sage as well on the stage of the Opera House, the first day yeah. we were in the Opera House. Had all the fire alarms turned off. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it's a major undertaking to do. <laughs> but the company understands that's extremely important. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I I'm now thirties, but I started doing this when I was professionally when I was twenty-one. And Allison is is extremely experienced, too, and has worked all over the world. And there's kind of a general hierarchy and understanding um, of where people are and, mm-hmm. you know, who's in charge and yep. whose ideas are to be respected above and beyond everybody else's. Who
0: gets their own dressing room. Right. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, too. Well, I mean, that, that kind of has to happen, unfortunately, because there's only so much space in the theater. But um, on this, what's interesting is that it sounds like every, it feels like everybody has a voice in the room. Mm-hmm, yeah. It doesn't feel like Peter is imposing his dramatic vision and Johannes is imposing his musical vision Mm -hmm. and we're all just pawns in the game. And as negative as that sounds, oftentimes that's the way it is. I mean, we're here to do a job. We've been hired to sing and stand Mm -hmm. where you want and act the way you want and that is what we sign up for. And so that's fine. Of course, most productions are more collaborative than that, but this one is exceedingly open and um there's and a lot of trust yes yeah. a lot of trust
2: yeah yeah nobody's like in your face sort no. of making every moment
1: no and somehow there's a lot of um calm yeah. as well mm-hmm. because of that trust i think mm-hmm. um and i mean there's a lot of on the line it's a wildly expensive endeavor in the smallest cast scenario of mm-hmm. you know putting on an op- opera but when you take on a piece with thirty-six roles, at named roles, and yep. yeah, probably two hundred people on stage by the time you finish mm-hmm. the evening, plus sixty or seventy in the pit, it's uh, that has been one of the things that I will take away from this experience: is that it's always better when everyone feels uh, free to voice their opinions or mm-hmm. their their feelings and when want it to try really stuff on stage, totally, like. Totally. Just
2: let my let me work with my character, let me find this person. They don't I mean, you have to show up the first day of rehearsal knowing who you are, but when you start walking the role and and living it, things change and you've gotta let the gotta have the gates open so things can come in and then it gets more and more real and more detailed and more authentic. And if you're if you're afraid all the time, it's just and wanting to get it right. you, You really shut off a lot of good juicy stuff juicy human stuff you know
1: mm-hmm. so. and peter really is has been instrumental in that too like johannes is just incredible and it never fails to support you and be there for you mm-hmm. and be very extremely clear yeah oh, um, for sure but peter has also just been the opposite of that and allowed us to find our way mm-hmm. and that is so nice because you don't feel like you're putting on a show the first time you put a scene mm-hmm. on its feet you don't feel like you're proving your worth or proving you know
2: and yet somehow we're... he fills your sort of bucket with all kinds totally. of stuff yes. so you're not just like okay show me what you have it's like Whoa, yeah. I, I got nothing yeah. you know?
0: <laughs> What do you have? Yeah. Give me what you have. <laughs> what do you have? <laughs> I don't know what I got. No. But he,
2: he just brought so much to it already so you already felt like you had so much when he explained what the scene was and the relationships in the scene. So you never felt like you were sort of afloat.
1: It's a, it's a really fine balance. Mm-hmm. And often theater directors are straight theater directors. And I know he's done a lot of, Pete uh, works with lots of music in them as well, and soundtrack musicals. These are not simple things. No. Nor is straight theater. That's for darn sure. But, um, you know, often they're either great opera directors or... They just don't have the skill set or in inherent ability to do that. and he is one of the best non full-time operatic directors that I've ever I've personally ever worked with.
2: Mm. Good times. We're yeah. having fun. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm just
3: I'm so lucky to be working with With you guys and like having such a good experience for my first experience yeah that's where everybody's like so chill and on the same level and even like being allowed to smudge in this building Mm -hmm. now as indigenous people we're constantly told you can't smudge that smells like weed or something like don't do it (gasps) and it's so so, it's so (sighs) hurtful you know we're just like it's part of who we are i feel like as indigenous people we are reclaiming And decolonizing and we're just reclaiming our space because we're constantly felt like we're pushed out of everywhere like Mm -hmm. like especially in the opera world
2: yeah never thought
3: I was constantly treated like I was nothing until I got this role and then all of a sudden I feel like I'm worth something and
2: (laughs) (laughs) we're so lucky to have you
1: we really are and the production's lucky to have you. And oh the my company's gosh. lucky to have you. And, and you your can
0: sing. Mates, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sing. I don't oh, try not it. to cry. Anyways, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> next question. Um, maybe you guys could tell us a bit about the main lullaby. Uh, you've sung it before as yes. you mentioned, and then you are singing it <laughs> yes. currently. Um, so perhaps you could tell us about the piece, its place and role in the opera. Any thoughts you have about the piece? E- even the, the language and right, with...
1: I'll give I'll give my girl a second. Yeah. <laughs> <to> <laughs> take in a She's got me going too. it. Um, well, uh, this this piece, the the Caius, um, was actually written by. It opens the third act, and basically the the curtain comes up, and Marguerite is revealed on the stage, and it's completely silent, and she starts this this beautiful aria song um, with no accompaniment and continues that way uh, for probably three or maybe, f- depending, how, depending how soprano-esque I get, <laughs> how long I hold the high notes, three to four minutes. <laughs> um, which is a, an eternity, especially in this uh, modern social media um, see it, buy it, you know, <laughs> world. Uh, um, so, it's quite, it's quite interesting um, because the piece was originally commissioned from Harry Summers for the Montreal International Music Festival, which continues to this day and is a great Canadian, um, you know, sort of starting, launching pad for great musicians. So he wrote this piece um, and it was his wife, when he couldn't figure out how to start the third act, it was his wife that said, what about that Caius piece that you wrote? what if, you know, what if one of the characters sang that? And it was a lightning rod moment for him. He, he decided to, or a light bulb moment, away. Um, it was big. It was, it was, it was, it was, a, was a big, big moment, moment. And it was light involved. <laughs> and so he decided to open the third act with this piece, and it was sort of a perfect fit. Now, the, the piece itself uh, is one of the more challenging moments in the opera because... Um, although the second half of it is sung in Cree, the melody on which the kayas the lullaby, and I say that in quote, air quotes, because <laughs> not he wrote it as a lullaby and intended it to be sung as a lullaby, but it is, it is not originally intended to be a lullaby. It is a Niska, um, Niska are uh, beautiful people from the northern part of British Columbia, um, and it's a Niska song, Based on a song of scatine, it's called, and um, it's meant to be a song of mourning and sort of great pain. And unfortunately, obviously Harry Summers didn't know this, and obviously he, you know, used it with the best of intentions and everything, and. Um, but it was recorded in 1927, I believe, and then he used the recording and created this lullaby, had it translated into Cree, and um, performed by a Cree character, Marguerite Riel. The problem is that when you take, as I've learned in only in researching this piece, when you take a, this piece from the Niska people, which is a morning song, it's not meant to be performed anywhere except in... A circumstance that you would, you know, you would be in mourning, and it can actually bring sort of bad energy towards both the singer and yeah. the audience if performed in the wrong context. So uh, Peter Hinton and Alexander Neef have been in conversation with the niska people and representatives um, who will who have essentially given their understanding um, and and allowed us to use this. Beautiful piece of their history, their music, on stage at the Four Seasons Center to keep it, acknowledging that it was written um, in the context of this three-hour opera, and it really changes this this piece if you don't have that incredibly strong moment. But it is it. I am certainly very grateful that that not only have they allowed us and sort of blessed. Um, bless the company by allowing us to, to use it, but that there has been a discussion because I would have a hard time as a non-Indigenous, non-NISCA, non-Cree woman sitting up there singing a song that is not mine and whose rights have not been sort of sorted out. So that has happened and there will be niska representatives that will come to the opening and I'm not going to give too much away, but they're going to speak about the song and I believe there's going to be a little bit of a performance as well um, prior to Curtin. So, that's a long-winded history of the piece. Um, it's a joy to sing. It's, uh, it's just incredibly beautiful. And there's a deep, um, there's a deep sort of calm that I feel when I sing it. It's almost like the history, the years of voices singing this song, um, I kind of hear them in my ear. So it becomes a lot less about me and about more about this piece and people hearing this piece the, the way that um, it should be, should be experienced. And I've done my best to, um, to follow exactly what Harry Summers wrote. But I also spoke with Roxalan Roslack um, yesterday actually we sat mm-hmm. down I was and asked about that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, she's wonderful.
0: Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah.
1: So you know she's wonderful. Yeah. And she was, she was a wonderful singer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. basically said, you know, Harry was great and everything, but he just, you know, he said, Make it yours. And so, yes, all of these things. And, of course, then she shows me her manuscript, which is, yeah, yes. you've seen that, too. <laughs> oh, I have. And <laughs> she's got her rests written out. I mean, she is a, you know, so maybe he said do what you want with it because he knew she was so meticulous about her right. detail yeah. and, and preparation. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah, she was um, crazy
3: about the detail when she was going through with it. Yeah, <laughs> but she,
1: she uh, and she just said, you know, I, before, because I had reached out to her and said, I would love to hear anything you have to say about the piece, and I would love your advice or insight or some history or memories. And she said, we sat down on her couch, and she said, now, dear, before we start, I just want to tell you that anything I say, you know, it's all fine, but this was my piece, and now it's your piece. And, of course, you know, I'm half mm-hmm. Persian, so I started to cry. <laughs> oh, this poor woman <laughs> probably thought I was crazy, soprano, oh, weeping on her wonderful. couch. With it. So, yeah, it's... um. It's a challenging piece. It's uh, challenging to keep the center of the pitch all the time when you're singing for quite a while without anything. The counting in the second half is quite difficult. But Cree is a beautiful language and not so difficult to sing in. No, it's not. There's nothing that sort of um, uh, fights with your classical technique, uh, unlike Russian sometimes or Czech English. or French yeah. <laughs> English, <laughs> For English sure. too. Yeah, so
2: it comes. At, at the mezzo's going to talk about the soprano aria oh now, <laughs> do. but it comes. She's going to so say we... something smarter than <laughs> oh, I Oh gosh! Ever did, no. so. <laughs> but we, because Simone was singing it the other night in rehearsal, and then we were sort of talking about it, and it comes at a moment in the evening where it sort of cleans your ear a little bit. Yes. And after seeing so many scenes of such conflict and um, musical conflict like you know there's a lot of there's death there's there's a lot happening that's really heavy when you come to the third act like okay i don't know if i'm gonna make it because it's getting it's so intense and to have that moment and the way it's lit and the way it's staged is just it's so beautiful it's such a I don't want to say a relief cuz that sort of disrespects of what happens before it but it, it it just it's so beautifully placed and and really wonderfully directed musically and and dramatically and sung of course
1: oh wow well. so. it's like you know when you get a little uh, when you go to a really great meal and <laughs> you have these these g- gorgeous full you know, salty, fatty courses. Yeah. Oh, and then you have a little bit of sorbet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just like a little, <laughs> <scoop>. yeah. <laughs> Just a little scoop. And you go, Oh right. And everything yeah. kind of refreshes and yep. um, but actually Roxolana said the same thing she yeah. said you know all the success that I had from it and she had great success yeah. in Washington and here I mean in Montreal as well and here and uh, great reviews and she said you know dear that was only because of where it's placed in the opera and Harry's writing <laughs> yeah. I thought could you That's be any more Canadian <laughs> not taking any you know she's this great singer oh, I know. but Joanna has you know a lot of really interesting insight on the piece as well yeah. because it's, it's been in her repertoire a lot longer than it has been in mine
3: just for two years, it's not it's not that long. But yeah, I I basically just picked up the piece and, and made it my own. Um, I started by I believe I sang for an NDP get together um, with Noah Richler. And I was like, Okay, well I don't have I, I don't have a flute and I don't have a sleigh bell or whatever, but I do have my Al Kai drum. Mm-hmm. So I brought that with me and I was like, okay, but I'm only going to be able to do the first page because I can't drum the rest of that <laughs> and sing at the same right. time. Fair Fair That's enough. a little complicated. So what I did, uh, I was like, okay, so what drumming songs do I know? Strong Woman's song. Okay. So I sang the first part, which is a acapella, um, and then I merged it with Strong Woman's song. And this is an all my relations song. There's, there's no specific indigenous words. And this song was, was made for the women in the prison system to give them strength to, to get through hard times. And now it's used just for resilience for, for women to empower them. And it's only sung by women. And whenever, so I sang this also in Ottawa. And when I sang over uh, 600 of the delegates who were in Ottawa for this thing called Daughters of the Vote, they all stood because the First Nations girls, they all stood up because when the drum is playing, you, you never sit, you always stand to, to respect the drum because the drum is, is uh, a living being. Um, it's seen as like a woman figure and uh, we call the, the drumstick grandmother's arm and we water the drum and we respect the drum, and keep it in a hide, uh, kind of like a, a hide satchel. Um, so when I did this, I felt um, I was just gonna put my own flair to it as an indigenous woman. Um, I speak, the Cree. I, I sing in it is Amishkego. Um, so because I don't know Plains wide dialect. Uh, so I just, I just do my best to do the Cree that I know. And um, so yeah, like uh, I usually just sing it with Strong Woman's song. Um, and I just, I love performing the piece, and I always have my drum with me. And what I find with this song, because it is a morning song, and drumming songs aren't really uh, done to entertain people, they're done for spiritual reasons. It's very inward. So whenever I perform it, I'm, I think that I'm singing for my ancestors, I'm singing for Kichimanatu, the creator, Kesa Muneto, and I, I feel their presence with me. And when I sing, my voice is, is calming and it's creating this atmosphere for everybody who's there. And Strong Woman's song, it just it's so uplifting and it, it, it's, it's beautiful. And so I'll be singing that at the symposium.
0: Oh well you take it yeah. we'll be there. We're we'll be there. We're so Yeah. Excited. We're yeah. 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 And it'll be mean, really wonderful to hear sort of the operatic version and your own. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I like, also don't, don't sing it
3: very operatically, yeah. Like for the high C obviously. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Oh. But I sing it with a drumming style. I sing it quite straight tone. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I have a different style. I just go out. I just like, you know, I I took people's advice, I took Roxalena's advice, and I was like, okay, that's, that's great, but I'm going to take a bit of a different route as an Indigenous woman.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Why not make it your own? Why not? Could you um, take turns and tell us what are you looking forward to on opening night? It's coming up pretty quick. What are you excited <coughs> for to see in the opera to hear or to experience? Hmm.
2: I, you know, I thought about this question. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't want to put any expectations out there. I think it's so exciting that the opera is is walking on this topic, going to this place. Um, I guess maybe one thing I'm, I hope for is that we can in a bigger way have our audience know, I mean we're sort of preaching to the choir, but that opera is a is a an art form that we can make comments about it's not dead it's it's live it's not reverential it's it's experiential it's it's useful and and i so hope we have more operas this inspires young composers yeah. i mean this piece is 50 years old now i mean come on people let's represent you know let's get some young composers excited about writing about other historical stories or other our current stories you know are uh, immigrant stories, refugee stories like um, exactly. first nation stories, like yep. settler stories, like everybody's story like let's get excited about telling it through the operatic way because it it's incredibly powerful and and relevant and important yeah. that sounds big, but <laughs> no, I love yeah. it
1: um, I mean, I will be honest, I will be looking forward to. A glass of wine. <laughs> um, yes, we'll have to get, <laughs> get together. For if not. I get all the counting right in both the second half of uh, the Kayash and the um, the quintet, particularly the quintet. So if I survive I, the quintet, I'll be very much looking forward to a glass of wine. If I don't, it'll be hard for me to show my face. But um, oh come on, oh oh it, it is. It is a. It is a. The thing is, it's a great piece. And it moves so fast, and I think it'll be exciting for the audience. Yeah. Yes. I don't think you need to, th- to feel like, okay, let's go have this moment in history, and let's get ready to yeah. you know become involved in political issues by seeing this piece. And then, be- I don't think everyone has to feel that way. I don't think all 2,000 people that walk out of the theater will do that. I don't think we can hope for that. Um, I-, I hope that people, first and foremost, have a wonderful night seeing this incredible art form that we all love so much, yeah. and that is so powerful. Um, I hope that it makes people think, yeah. and I hope that through the strength of this art form and the incredible passion and honesty and um, talent which with, with which the cast and everyone involved in the piece um, sort of had, had displays, just a moment to say, Russell Braun is life-altering in this role. I mean, oh it's... Oh, my goodness, yes. Absolutely. It, it will... It will it, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime role, and he is blowing it out of the park, and he's so on it. He's such a good man. Oh, he's off such... Stage. Oh, my gosh. Just he's such a gentle soul, and... And a good person. You yeah. know, he's got an incredibly beautiful family. He's such... Got incredible morals and values, and that's tough and in hilarious. this business. And he's hilarious. And he's, he's, and he's so
3: funny. He says the funniest things. Yeah. And
1: he like, just, you know, he is up there with absolutely no artifice. He is just himself. And it's not hard, for, you know. I don't think it's that hard to see that because Russell is himself always. But it's yeah. pretty incredible to see that on that stage, singing this incredibly heroic uh, role. Um, but I, you know, I I hope it makes people opens their minds and has them ask questions and I mm-hmm. hope we that we can channel the power of this art form and the strengths of everyone involved um to really affect some change maybe by audience number 742 who's sitting in the fifth ring and says wait a minute we have not come far enough what can mm-hmm. i do about it i know i'm asking myself that question i think yeah. everyone on the piece is and You know, Alison, it it came to me when you were discussing what an open, honest, fair Mm -hmm. process it has been. You know, I think we've learned a lot in 50 years since the piece was written. And that's why the company and the artistic team is approaching this second production so differently, with a lot more inclusion and a lot more voices being heard. But I wonder what it would feel like if in 50 years, we did this piece again, and a whole lot more was settled, Mm -hmm. and there was less nervousness or trepidation because First Nations people, Indigenous people, Cree people, everyone, every Canadian was more equal and felt more equal and had the same opportunities. How incredible would it be to bring this piece back 50 years from now as a relic of the his, of the history much of Canada mm-hmm. and just be proud every second of this three hour show that things are not like that anymore yeah, yeah. and that every child has an opportunity that no matter what family you're born into, no matter what you know, what kind of background your parents have, how much money you have, um, no matter what corner, Northeast, Southwest of this beautiful country, uh, you come from. You have the same opportunities as everybody else,
2: and the same standard of living, a higher standard of living. Yes, clean water, an acceptable standard
1: of living, Mm -hmm. and that we are not turning a blind eye, and that we're not pretending. You know, Canadians are great at playing things down, and like Roxana didn't didn't acknowledge that it was her own greatness that was part of the success of that role. Mm -hmm. We're also good at you know turning a blind eye sometimes and pretending things aren't happening and they are and it is not good enough and it would be incredible if you know we can only do so much we're i mean i'm a trained opera singer i don't have i would love to do more than i can now and maybe i will one day but maybe we can use the power of Mm -hmm. this incredible art form that we've all worked so hard to master (laughs) to start to master Mm
3: -hmm. um to do some real good. And I feel like this, this opera is going to open doors. Like, um, I feel like as an Indigenous woman, it's going to open doors for my community and for people who come from a background like I do, coming from a very poor Native family, to feel like that they can do something like this. Because I never thought in a million years I would be here today. And it's incredible. I'm, I'm still in complete shock that I'm here doing this interview and doing many interviews as an indigenous woman because it, it's hard, and it's it's very hard.
1: And just think about what you represent to kids who are twenty years younger than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. And now, <laughs> and now, now we all just. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but really, but really, I mean, who had they seen on the center on the. Stage of the Four Seasons Center for Performing Arts, or you know, at the Rogers Center. I don't know. I don't know anything about pop music. Where do they do big no, pop don't. concerts? I know. pop dinosaur. I'm or no or on stage in a Mervish product. You know, yeah. think about what you represent to them. Yeah. They're going to have an actual person to look at and say, if she did, it, I can do it. Exactly. Yes. She's mm-hmm. from Lindsay, Ontario. Yeah.
3: Her parents yeah. I'm are. I'm from the bush. You know. <laughs> I don't even know what Lindsay's like
1: but, but your parents are not professional musicians. No, you know. no,
3: my my mom were bush people. Like I grew up in the in the bush, hunting, mm-hmm. fishing. Uh, none of my family understands opera. You know, my mom was a country singer. She got her little guitar and played country tunes. This is this is so huge for for people like indigenous people as well as Everett who comes from Moosonee. And we're just, we're those figures that they can look up to and they can do this. Like, I I did it. Mm-hmm. Anybody can do it if I did it, mm-hmm. honestly.
0: What brought you here to opera then?
3: Oh, <laughs> literally opera. Tell classical. them what your name means first. Uh, Dindishikwe. So Dindishikwe is a blue jay woman. Mm -hmm. and I was called blue jay woman because I'm loud and boisterous (laughs) like a blue jay like an opera singer and blue jays can like mimic different noises they're very aggressive I don't I don't think maybe I'm slightly aggressive sometimes I can be aggressive no you're fun (laughs) fun. but um so what got me into opera singing um I literally just I sang country I sang gospel at a very young age, I took singing lessons because my great uncle, he, um, he had a good job, was able to give my mom some money to put me, to give me money for lessons because my mom, she know she was a single mom raising three, three young kids. So um, I continued taking lessons. Uh, my teacher and Lindsay actually told me that the only thing I'd amount to was a singing waitress. Wow. Mm. Oh, you should invite her to opening night. Oh, I think I listen listen should, to this, right? Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> listen to this podcast. <laughs> so my mom was so distraught when she heard that. She's like, "We screw that. We are finding somebody in Toronto. Oh. So she just looks on the internet, finds Joel Katz. Oh, gosh. And he had this thing. <laughs> what caught her eye is that he does a free consultation. She's right. like, free? <laughs> so we drive up onto Toronto, and I have a singing lesson with him. And he's like, uh, he said... You, I, see, I think he said something like, "I can't sing," but I, I would, I can learn to something <laughs> like that. But um, he changed my life. He, he's he, a lovely
2: man. He's so great, oh, isn't he? Such a lovely man. How
3: old were you? I was sixteen or seventeen, around there. And I went from a mezzo to a soprano in one lesson. Oh we lost it. <laughs> we lost you. <laughs> we lost
0: you. Never I too, know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All
3: right. Well at least we can do duets now. So <laughs> yeah. I wish that happened
1: to me the other way. Turned <laughs> from a soprano yep. to a mezzo in one
3: lesson. <laughs> that happens very often. <laughs> no. So yeah, so I auditioned for the Glenn Gold School and it wasn't really I wasn't like I wanna be an opera singer. It was literally my ticket out of Lindsay. Lindsay is mm-hmm. like not a place you wanna be so i got out of there did the four-year undergrad and my two-year and i i was going to quit opera altogether this year because you know i felt this wasn't where i'm supposed to be until i got this role i'm like okay this is where i'm supposed to sign Mm -hmm. it's a sign
0: always at the right time too
3: that's a good mom that's a good mom knowing
1: your worth knowing wait a minute you're who, worth I mean, more than you that. Might, you might be a professional opera
3: She's always said that from the beginning, and I was like,
0: good for her. Know. Good for her mm-hmm. for knowing. You'll
3: meet her. You're going to meet her. I'm She's excited. coming, yeah. That's a good mom. She's a good mom.
0: It's not a question we thought of in some of our earlier interviews, but I'm really, I'm, I'm wondering how you guys are going to feel on the last night of this production, much less the premiere, mm. because I, the community that we've heard about that's been formed through the cast and crew, it's through gonna everything, it's going to be...
1: Well but the we're nice going to thing, Ottawa. The nice thing is Ottawa, we're taking yeah. it on, you know, we're taking it yeah. on the road a little bit, but it, it will not I don't think the it entire the group will be the no, same. No. So it'll be a it'll be a weaning process.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think they're weaning it
3: down slowly to yeah. Quebec, back. But yeah. You know, it's gonna be a bittersweet moment, I I feel.
0: Yeah. But such a great run. We're so excited for um, the premiere we coming up next week mm-hmm. and the symposium. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak of us. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Oh, thank, thank you, you thank guys. You. Good luck with everything. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed listening into that conversation. We're so excited for the premiere, and we hope you are too. Stay tuned for more episodes and follow us on Twitter at Riel Opera Talk or send us an email at Louis Riel at gmail.com.